Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. All hit radio. Welcome to the X-Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. back, everyone. This is the X-Zone, hour three of tonight's four-hour show, and my guest this hour is Dale Kazmarek. And Dale is the president of the Ghost Research Society and director of Excursions into the Unknown, Inc., the only year-round ghost tour of haunted Chicagoland locations. Gail has been actively investigating ghost hauntings and poltergeist phenomena since 1975 and is active in a number of organizations, including 
American Association for Electronic Voice Phenomenon, Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained, International Fortean Organization, and the prestigious Ghost Club of England. Now, Dale has been active for 46 years in the field and has investigated over 4,100 cases, both public and private. He has accumulated what must be the largest collection of authentic ghost spirit auto, uh, photograph collection in the world and has taught workshops, classes, and seminars on the subject of spirit photography and ghost hunting techniques. Joining me now is Dale Kazmarek. And Dale, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Rob. Nice to see you again. Nice uh, talking to you. And um, how has the COVID situation been for investigators like yourself who you know, just go out there and do your very best to find out what is going on and help the people who are experiencing the paranormal activity? Well, unfortunately, I didn't get too many calls from uh, private clients because um, because of the COVID situation out here. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were doing a lot of uh, public places, um, keeping the, the number down in my group to, a, you know, a manageable number. And of course, we were wearing masks and just being very careful, you know, until the the vaccine came out. So, uh, I mean, now it's uh, getting a little bit better here in Chicago. I mean, the, the positivity rate is down to about 2.2%, which was uh, uh, good. I mean, it was yeah. down to below 1% at one time, but then that Delta variant kind of kicked in. So uh, we're kind of getting back to some sort of sense of normality, normalcy right now. Was there any difference in the paranormal activity while COVID was at its peak? I didn't actually notice any. Um, I mean, you would think uh, I would still get the, the kind of the same amount of calls from mm-hmm. people um, and, you know, different ideas that we were putting together, you know, for our group to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't really see that. And like I said, I, I really didn't get any really any calls at all for almost a year and a half from anybody you know, from a private residence or, or a private location private business that had uh, you know activity they wanted to check out so i think a lot of it was due to just uh, you know just uh, the covid scare to people just you know unsure who had it and who didn't right how have you investigated over 4100 cases that's that's a phenomenal amount of investigations. Yeah, we do quite a number of investigations on a yearly basis with the Ghost Research Society. Um, just to kind of give you a couple of examples that we things we did, you know, this year mm-hmm. uh, we went down to Tennessee, a trip to Tennessee, and during that trip to Tennessee, we were doing multiple investigations every day for like we were down there for like four days, and uh, we were down to places like the Bell Witch Cave. Uh, Fort Donaldson, uh, some Civil War battlefields that, that were down there. Uh, you know, part of the John Bell farm that from the actual Bell Witch. And, I mean, we took so much just in that, those four days alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that, okay, you might do like one investigation a day. I mean, that's just not us. We try to squeeze it as much as we possibly can. So sometimes we are going to locations. We might be there for an hour, two hours, four hours, depending on how long it took us to investigate and move on to something else. And uh, uh, we did a trip to uh, Iowa where we investigated like the Buddy, Buddy Holly crash site, for instance, which is pretty cool. And some places down there, the Bolitka Axe House and the Farrar School and some other locations. And um, 
I went to uh, Indiana, to Wisconsin. We had four days in Gettysburg. Uh, so we were extremely busy uh, this year. Um, last year, you know, maybe not as much. I mean, on the average, I, I think we probably do, you know, at least 40, 40 plus, maybe 50 plus investigations in a year, depending. Um, and, and that's really just on weekends. And sometimes I, I'm even able to squeeze in things during the week. Uh, with, with my group as well. So it really does begin to add up pretty quickly. How many are there in your group? Uh, we have uh, roughly about 25 members, mm -hmm. and they're kind of all across the country. We have uh, Nicole Strickland, who was on earlier yep. on the show. Uh, she's my California State Coordinator. I have uh, Randy Liebeck, who's my New Jersey State Coordinator, Nancy Gust, Kentucky State Coordinator. Um, and we have people all across the country, um, most of the core group here is in the Chicagoland area and the suburbs. Now, what have you been able to establish over the last 46 years of being a paranormal investigator? What have we learned over those 46 years? Well, we've learned quite a, diff quite a bit, especially when it comes to advancement of equipment. Uh, when I first started out in the uh, mid-1970s, mm -hmm. uh, my only equipment basically it was a 35 millimeter camera, uh, a cassette tape recorder, and my EMF meter was an ordinary compass. Um, so we learned quite a bit just with the technology and how technology can be used uh, in the paranormal with the advent of, uh, first of all, just adapting certain pieces of equipment that had really had other uses, such as, you know, uh, K2 meters and and things of that nature that really weren't meant to go out to investigate ghost reports. They were just there to pick up anomalous energy readings and mm -hmm. think could adapt that to ghost uh, research. And then, of course, later on, people uh, like you know uh, Bill Chapel from Digital Dowsing, who I met uh, recently at a conference in uh, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. He was an absolutely amazing guy. Uh, people like himself and others began to specifically design uh, equipment for the express purpose of ghost research. So I think that was number one uh, that was on my list of what we can, what we kind of learned. But we also learned how to, to use that equipment uh, in the field uh, today uh, and kind of you know, not so much look back at what we, what we had before, but kind of, kind of move forward. And uh, there are so many bright minds out there that are, designing these pieces of equipment uh it's really amazing what you can find on the internet and what you can find on these different groups uh and, and just just very smart people out there that are building amazing pieces of equipment and technology but what has been found that is new and exciting with this new technology well we've we've been able to uh have certain technologies uh well first of all we always have the the night shot cameras, they came out around 1996, 1997, the Sony night shot cameras that you could actually see in the dark. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have some new technologies that, um, you know, some, some equipment that has actually been able to uh, show us things that are not there, in, uh, that are sort of invisible to the naked eye. In other words, one of our structured light sensor cameras it actually produces a, a field of invisible dots uh, from the Connect system. And it actually is able to uh, show if something comes into that mapped out area, we call it. It will show up as a stick figure. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so we're able to really narrow down our field of uh, uh, where we're investigating by using this equipment and seeing what we can pick up. There's even a brand new um, uh, laser grid called the GS2 laser grid that not only you know, puts out a laser grid, an actual grid of, of uh, horizontal and vertical red lines, but if something comes into that grid, uh, there's a little screen on top, an LED screen that actually shows you the configuration of what just went in through your screen. So if it shows up like a figure, you could actually say a figure just passed through there. So um, right. a lot of these new technologies have really kind of uh, advanced um, the area of ghost research and also to the point where, uh, give you an example, when I was first starting out, I, mm -hmm. I didn't know what was in front of me, what was behind me. I right. was just kind of taking random pictures. I, I, I kind of used the compass. The compass should point to true magnetic north unless it comes in contact with a strong magnetic field, in which case it would deviate. I mean, that, that's really kind of just really low budget. That's all right. I had back then. And then now to have all this equipment uh, today is, is, is really refreshing. And it also allows us to be a lot more uh, diligent and professional in what we do and what we're able to produce and as far as evidence. All right, stand by, please. Uh, Dale, you and I have to take our first break. And Exonation, Dale Kazmarek is our very special guest this hour. And I've had the pleasure of having Dale on the show a number of times over the years. And he's always interesting. And he is truly one of the, the great paranormal investigators out there today. And if you'd like to find out more about uh, Dale and what he does, as well as his books, visit his website, www.ghostresearch.org. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. The future will be amazing, and that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400-horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Excuse me, Dale Kazmarek is our special guest. And uh, Dale, have you yourself ever seen a ghost? And if so, what does it look like? Um, when I first started out, no, actually, it took me probably, I would say, oh, geez, at least 20, 20 years or more before I actually saw uh, my first thing 
with my own eyes. I photographed things using different types of infrared film and things of that nature, but never actually saw something. Um, I've seen probably you know, a couple of dozen ghosts or more um, in, in my research. Uh, and for the most part, what I have come across is like shadow figures. Um, shadow figures uh, is a term that a lot of paranormal investigators use to kind of describe something that looks like it's a shadow, but is actually darker than dark. It uh, is something that apparently has a physical mass because when it passes in front of invisible light, it can obscure the light. Uh, those are the kind of uh, phenomena that we try to capture in laser grids and with the, these X cameras and so forth, uh, because they, 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 they seem to have actually a mass um, that we can pick up. So shadow figures, um, they look like us in some cases, but they're just dark, they're just dark figures. And um, I've spoken to a number of investigators, including uh, uh, my late friend, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who I knew for uh, more than 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, she, she often said that her experiences with that and what she was able to um, research in her um, uh, about shadow figures is it was more of a negative connotation when you saw something like that. And uh, that's not been my experience, at least with shadow figures. I, you know, I believe that you know, ghosts can show up in various types of forms. They're not always full-bodied apparitions. They can be semi-transparent forms. They can be shadow figures, strange lights, strange mists, streaks of light, and things of that nature. Um, so, I mean, um, I have, on one occasion, seen what I believe to be a full-bodied apparition uh, that looked just like us, except it, it's, it just disappeared. And... Um, yeah, I could, I could actually see through it. Um, now, a lot of people, you know, they'll see things out of the corner of their eyes sometimes. You know, you, you hear about catching something out of the corner of the yard, you turn mm -hmm. it and turn to your left or to your right, and it's not there anymore. Um, now I have learned, you know, through training uh, and working with professional psychics that, uh, you know, when most people have those experiences, they, they often uh, prejudge what they're actually going to be seeing before they actually turn their head to see it and they kind of turn it off by saying oh it's really nothing it's just a trick of my eye i've determined that i think if you keep a more of an open mind and you kind of say to yourself okay well this may be something there i'm going to turn and i, I think that there probably is something there and i've actually seen more actually kind of kind of condition your mind i think a lot has a lot to do with the mind because if you kind of turn off your like a like a light switch uh, saying um, I'm a skeptic, I'm a non-believer, this is all nothing, you're probably never going to see anything in your lifetime. And uh, so we've been into a, a lot of these places that I've seen these shadow figures have been uh, in places like uh, uh, sanitariums um, or uh, old hospitals or prisons or movie theaters, uh, places like that. Uh, those are the top four that we seem to have come across most of what I have seen. Why would these figures or why would these spirits or ghosts remain in the same place? Why don't they go to the light or go to wherever the other uh, spirits have gone? Um, there's a theory that uh, many parapsychologists and ghost investigators uh, believe is that it's due to untimely death. Um, that you, you have either died or were killed or murdered or committed suicide or you're run over by a car, uh, drive-by shooting or something. You're here one moment, you're gone the next, 
And I believe that a lot of those fears, because of their suddenness or in some cases violence, they don't realize that they have passed on. And some really good examples of, of, of movie movie shows, uh, movie films that have actually uh, kind of uh, replicated this theory would be like Ghost with Patrick Spacey and Demi Moore, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis and Sixth Sense, and Nicole Kidman and the others. All three of those major motion those major motion picture stars portrayed ghosts in those motion pictures, and they all died violently and later on found out that they were just a ghost. And that's what I think happens a lot. Now, I've heard that theory about, you know, kind of going to the like. And I have a theory, if you can indulge me for a second here. Sure. Um, we know what ghosts look like ourselves because we some people have seen them. They're depicted in, in, in magazines, newspaper articles, books, periodicals, and so forth. But we don't know what what we appear to a ghost. For all we know, we might appear to a ghost as a life force, as an energy, as a white light. Um, so if you tell the spirit to go to the light, to, to move on, you might be telling the spirit to just find the nearest person to attach itself to. Because we don't know, again, what we look like to a, to a ghost. So I always say that if we... Uh, I don't get involved actually in moving on spirits, but I have worked with people that have done that. And what they normally do is they say, reach out to friends and loved ones on the other side who have passed over for guidance. Uh, because some people just don't want to let go of physical life because either they they died tragically, emotionally, violently, or they are emotionally attached to a building, a structure, an individual, or something like that. And they're going to stick around for a while until they their own free will they just get tired and they move on. But if this is if this is why that ghosts remain because of the suddenness of their of their death, would there not be more and more ghosts roaming the earth each and every day? Um, that's a good question, and I, I've often been asked that, and I've often been asked, well, why isn't everybody a ghost? Because mm-hmm. you know people die all the time. It's just sometimes the way you die. And again, I don't think there's actually any. Um, scientific theory or or a hypothesis that would say, okay, this person died this way, that there's a 90% chance that he or she is going to become a ghost. Um, I think it has a lot to do with certain factors. Um, it has to do with personality, has to do with energy. You know, we have a measurable energy in our bodies. Einstein said it very eloquently that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It just changes form. Mm-hmm. So the energies that we have in our bodies, what happens when we die? Now, some people say we go to heaven, to hell, to an altered state of consciousness, the, the great beyond, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, but those that die suddenly or violently, the same thing happens. I mean, sometimes because of uh, that happening, they kind of linger for a bit. You know, in, in Ghost with Patrick Spacey, he actually did see a light at the end of the movie, if you remember. But then he realized that's where he belonged, and then he finally moved on. And I think, again, not everybody who dies violently uh, is going to come back as a ghost. There's no exact formula for that. I've heard many times where ghost groups and investigators go to the Waverly and other haunted locations. Why do the ghosts tolerate people? Like, isn't that an invasion of their, of their sanctity? Like, they're dead. Why, why disturb them? Well, I think a lot of people do that to see if, you know, when I go to places that are similar like mm-hmm. that, I mean, we go there 
you know, not as an entertainment. We don't go there as thrill seekers. I mean, right. we go there to see if there's anything still lingering there. If they, uh, those people have a, a last request or something they want, a message they want to get across, you know, to to the uh, to to our to our realm, to, to maybe family, fam, friends, and members, and so forth. So we do it, you know, to to be scientific and also to try to prove, you know, the existence of ghosts. And that's how I got involved to begin with was to prove life after death. So if I can prove that ghosts exist, I think I've proven that there's a life after death. So the best places to go to to prove that would be to places where people like sanitariums, like um, prisons and hospitals where people die all the time and sometimes tragically to see if they are still around. Uh, because you just can't go to everybody's door and knock on the, every, your neighbor's door if they've crossed the street and say, oh, you know, anything going on here? Anybody die here? You kind of be laughed around for that. So you kind of go to places that are kind of well known that have a history of that type of activity or a history of violence that have been perpetrated by others onto other people. Or I would imagine a place that accepts the fact that paranormal investigators will be coming here and it's good for business. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I first started out again, you could go into a lot of different buildings at first and not be charged anything. Uh, but then I think, uh, you know, these people that own these venues that are very haunted, like Waverly and, you know, Trans-Allegheny, Lunatic Asylum and other places across the country and around the world, uh, they figure there's a business there. People will actually pay for the uh, the experience or the opportunity to to go there and to investigate. Right. And when we when we finish our investigation, we always share whatever we get, you know, with those people uh, that own those venues because they're interested in what other investigators also pick up. All right, stand by. You and I have to take our break for the news at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is Dale Kazmarek, and if you'd like to find out more about Dale and the work he's done, the research he's done, as well as the books he's written, visit www.ghostresearch.org. I'm Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Dale Kazmarek is my guest. And Dale, what has the paratourism industry done to legitimate ghost research? Uh, if you're speaking about like ghost tours and things of that nature, I think it actually has uh, enlightened a lot of people um, to the you know, prospect of places you know, that right in their neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, that can be haunted. Um, not everybody, you know, is interested in going in and participating in a full-fledged investigation, um, uh, often because of 
uh, they're either untrained or maybe they um, might be a little bit skittish to do something like that. But kind of going on a kind of a ghost tour with a bunch of other people uh, and, and stopping and going out and kind of examining locations might be more uh, right up their alley. Uh, I remember a number of years ago when I was doing something in Trans-Allegheny, uh, Lunatic Asylum West in West Virginia, uh, we were we were joined. Uh, this was a public kind of kind of a tour slash investigation, and they took like sixty people, but they divided them up into like small groups of about ten or fifteen per floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the people that were in the group uh, were were there for thrill seekers. In fact, there was actually a couple that was on their honeymoon uh, in Trans Allegheny, which I thought was kind of humorous. And they, they were kind of like really clinging on to one, each other as they were walking down these spooky hallways and. Uh, the crazy part is that during that trip that I was there, we recorded and heard nine disembodied screams coming down the hallway. Uh, and the reactions of some of the people on the video clips is really kind of amazing. You kind of almost kind of see that fear in their face. Like, what was that? So I, I think, you know, uh, the ghost tours are, are one thing. Uh, but getting involved in, uh, you know, an investigation is something else. But it's, it's something that I've noticed here recently that more people want to get involved with. Uh, I think they want more now than just simply sitting on a bus or going for a ghost walk or something. They want to be more of an active participant into investigations. And we've been doing that. Uh, I've been doing that and I'm planning to do more uh, in 2022 where the public can actually investigate along with us. And I think the public gets a, a kick out of that because it's not going into a really creepy old building, you know, something like that, but it's going into places that have paranormal activity and the public then can kind of see what we do. We kind of teach them along the way of, you know, do's and don'ts. And I think uh, uh, it, it really opens up uh, people's minds to, you know, the possibility that there's something you know, beyond, you know, what we have here on earth. There is something that survives death. But if, if the paranormal is in these haunted, old, decrepit buildings, why isn't there paranormal activity in new homes if the paranormal is legitimate? Like, why just the older homes? Why just the older hospitals? If people are dead, they're just not in those locations. They're in other locations as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there are, you know, that's one of the things that I try to tell people when I'm doing these, these ghost hunts and ghost tours is that... Uh, you know, you don't have to look into an old Victorian mansion from the 1890s or into an old abandoned hospital or, a, you know, a decrepit uh, a sane asylum that, that's literally falling apart. Uh, there are many, many, many examples of brand new homes, brand new businesses. In fact, here in the Chicagoland area, uh, right after the Burbank Firehouse in Burbank, Illinois, was put up, uh, phenomena began happening. It was all it was actually in the local newspapers. Uh, the, the fire department people, personnel uh, couldn't figure out what was going on and always kind of uh, kind of chuckle because I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of shows people that you don't have to go into an old building because it can happen right next door. You can build a brand new home mm-hmm. and suddenly have paranormal phenomena. And it's not because the house is necessarily so haunted. It may be the property, the, the, the location, the land. Um, I call it stigmatized property, things that may have happened on that property before that house was built. Uh, this was all Native American Indian land here in the United States. So was there an Indian village? Was there an Indian massacre? Was there some 
some settlers that were killed by Indians. Uh, did something happen uh, somewhere back in time that because the house was then put on the property, the house kind of inherited that ghost. So it can be a brand new home, but it can be the property that's haunted. So how do you check out for property if it's haunted? Well, you go back into history mm-hmm. and historical societies and libraries and the Internet and Wikipedia and whatever, you know, uh, options I have. And sometimes, you, you, you know, a really good source for information, a lot of people, a lot of investigators miss this. And I like to talk to really old people that live in the neighborhood uh, because they are a good source of information because they were here. They may have lived in this house for all of their life, you know, 90 plus years, and they might have seen, mm-hmm. you know, things built and torn down, and they might, you know, realize what was here before. Maybe there was a cemetery here that was taken away, and, and maybe the bodies weren't moved, but the headstones were. Uh, you can talk to police uh, to see if, if they will, if sometimes they, they will talk and sometimes they won't. Uh, you can go to City Hall and try to find records about that to, to uh, get the property identification number, and that, that that will tell you each person that owned that property from the very beginning. Now, they might not be the ghost, but it'll kind of give you a starting point for where you want to look, and then you go into genealogical records to find out possibly who the ghost was. So there's a lot of different ways you can research uh, a property, um, and you know, you know, libraries and historical societies are probably you know what I spend a lot of time in. So what is the main objective of a ghost investigator? To prove that ghosts exist? I think to prove that uh, that there is a life after death, that, that ghosts do exist. Uh, they don't, you know, like I say, not everybody who dies comes back as a ghost, but it, mm-hmm. it's to show you that there is something uh, beyond death. And I mean, for those that are, I don't like to, usually like to put religion mm-hmm. mixed with the paranormal, but I mean, ghosts are talked about in the Bible. Um you know, they talk about if you're a Catholic, you say the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, you know, these things go way back in time, way back to Socrates and Plato and and uh, Greek philosophers. You know, the idea of ghosts. So, I mean, I think what we do as as paranormal investigators, uh, I think, is really kind of twofold in some cases. You know, some investigators will actually um, investigate and then also try to help to move the spirits on. Uh, we don't do that ourselves. I mean, if, you know, if we're called in by a, a client, uh, we just go in there to try to gather evidence, to try to figure out what's going on. If they want to take it to a next level, then I do know people that can, in some cases, uh, coax the ghost to move on through uh, uh, having them reach out to friends and loved ones on the other side. What about these graveyards that have been that aren't Indian or Native American or Native Canadian? where homes have been built or industries have been built, is there any recorded evidence that these type of bulldozed or moved graveyards where something new has been built are actually haunted? Or does this is this something that is mostly noticed when it comes to the Native Americans or Native Canadians? Um, it can be both. I'll uh, give you a good example. When they when they built the, the brand new airport in Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. it was built over what they called very sacred Indian land. And there were a number of articles that came out after that saying, claiming there was things going on in the airport. Uh, when the H-5 highway in Hawaii was being built, it was being built right through 
a very sacred uh, Native American and uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know the actual name of the, the tribes that are out there, but Native Americans, and they had activity there. Um, even uh, the movie Poltergeist that was actually based on a true event, uh, the, um, the, the producer, Tobe Hooper, of that, uh, that movie claimed that he actually was, lived in a house in Texas that was actually built over uh, gravestones uh, that had been moved. I have actually investigated places uh, where there have been graves and bodies found underneath uh, houses that were being built. And obviously activity had been stored up. So it's not always just Native Americans. Mm -hmm. It can be forgotten gravestones and grave graveyards. There's a very famous story in Chicago about Lincoln Park. It used to be our first city cemetery that started in the 1830s. And when they began turning into the Lincoln Park Zoo, they began to find bodies all over the place uh, that were indigent people that were buried basically without no headstones, no markers. And eventually they lost track of all this until eventually they began to, you know, to, to put the zoo in there and, and, and walking trails and lights and, and sewer systems and water fountains mm -hmm. and bodies started coming out of the ground. You and I have to take our final break for this hour, Dale. Um, please stand by. And Exonation Dale Kazmarek is our guest. For more information on Dale and what he does, his books, visit ghostresearch.org and don't forget my favorite new radio station is now heard around the world www.classic1220.ca The Exxon is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard it's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality and we come to you Monday through Friday from 10pm Eastern until 2am Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network and Mutual Broadcast Network I'm Rob McConnell, don't go away back. Uh, Dale Kazmarek is our guest. Uh, Dale, how many of the hauntings or the paranormal activity that people encounter are actually manifested by the person themselves compared to an actual paranormal event? Uh, we have kind of narrowed it down into uh, uh, like different categories. Uh, like, 
for instance, uh, um, something that has a supernatural uh, presence, uh, something that may be more of a, um, uh, a manifestation of the mind, and even into what we would call poltergeist phenomena, which is actually caused by a living agent, usually an adolescent going through puberty, uh, that has pent up emotions that can eventually um, move objects through the power of the mind. It's called uh, uh, telekinesis or psychokinesis. Um, I guess the percentage um, is, it tends to be uh, when we get into the haunting phenomenon, and actual whether it could be some physical presence there, uh, we have subdivided that into two categories, what we call residual which is kind of like a tape loop being played back over and over again, and an intelligent spirit that actually interacts with people. You see the ghost, the ghost sees you. There's interaction. There may be a sensation of being touched. There's communication. Mm -hmm. um, it may not always be verbal. It can be uh, telepathic. So I think what most people, when they experience something in their homes, it's usually residual in nature. It's usually like a tape loop something tragic that may have happened. Maybe somebody fell down the stairs, somebody had, uh, they killed themselves or something like that. And people will experience sometimes either the last moments of that person's life, or in some cases, like people that uh, were just, lack of a better term, hanging around. And they say, you're a housewife. You might hear dishes rattling at seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, she might be cooking breakfast still. It's things like this that people experience actually more than uh, coming physically in contact with or communication with uh, a, a discarnate entity. Um, the poltergeist phenomenon is a little bit rarer than that. Um, again, that's something that is can be studied. Uh, ghosts can be studied to a certain extent, but you can't bring a ghost into a laboratory. Uh, if there's a person displaying psychokinetic powers, um, um, RSPK, uh, recurring spontaneous psychokinetic effect, that person can be brought into a laboratory and studied because it's a living agent. Mm -hmm. Those can't be studied. And that's why, unfortunately, a lot of scientists just kind of poo-poo the whole idea that there are ghosts because they can't be studied. They can't be brought in. They can't be... Um, you know, brought into a laboratory environment. But if that's the case, what are you people doing all this work for then? Well, we hope to be able to compile enough physical proof mm -hmm. through our investigations using, you know, state-of-the-art technologies to be able to present, you know, papers um, in colleges uh, to the medical community to, to the scientific community to say, here is our evidence that we have collected. Now, again, we're never going to be able to convince everybody. There's right. always going to be some people that are skeptics, that are agnostics, they're atheists, they're just total disbelievers. But, uh, and I don't try to try to convert anybody, mm -hmm. but I just say, well, here's my evidence, examine it, debate it, Right. And come to your own conclusions. But if your evidence was so compelling, why wouldn't the scientific community get involved? It makes no sense. The scientific community is involved with near-death experiences. So why wouldn't they be also interested in the research that you and other uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of other 
paranormal investigators are working on. Because, again, the possibility of, of bringing a ghost into a laboratory condition is not something that's going to happen. I mean, we can study clairvoyance, ESP, precognition, right. uh, you know, all these other remote viewing because they're, they're done by living people, and those people can be studied. Mm -hmm. uh, the J.B. Ryan Institute had done that. The Edgar Casey Foundation, yeah. you know, Society for Psychic Research, they all studied that, and there were a lot of people, even uh, um, William Roll, who was a, the, pre the preeminent uh, investigator of poltergeist phenomena, who's a good friend of mine, mine as well. Those people can be brought in and studied, uh, but you can't study a ghost inside of a laboratory condition. I don't know any way of doing but it. But the scientific, I'm, the scientific, like an aneroid or a ghostbuster yeah. that can bring them in and trap them and then bring them in and then study them. But you know that makes no sense because people go to volcanoes to study volcanoes. People go out into the open to study weather conditions. I mean, we're talking about scientists here. So if the so if the scientific community had any any reason to believe in any of the research that ghost researchers are are showing them, why would they not go out and do the research in the field like other members of the scientific community do? Because a lot of them consider parapsychology more of a pseudoscience than it actually is a real science because a parapsychology is mm -hmm. really a small branch. Uh, when you talk about parapsychology, you know, you talk about all the things that are, that are created by the living person mm -hmm. and that a small little sliver, that's where the ghosts and apparitions and hauntings take place. But again, they consider it a pseudoscience because, it, again, getting back to that idea of not being able yeah. to be studied in their laboratory conditions. So they're, they... I tried to. I tried this in the past with with very like-minded individuals who were in the medical field. Now some have, in as the case of doctors and nurses that work in hospitals, universities, mm -hmm. and so forth. You know they are in a condition where they could have patients that die, and that you know nurses and doctors have seen things that they can't explain, mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. But again. They will always come back and say, well, maybe it was the chemicals we were pumping in the person's body. Um, maybe it was something else. So they always seem to have an explanation for that. So uh, until we can get very compelling evidence and methodologies that they will agree, with, uh, agree upon, I think we'll never quite reach that scientific community. Is there a danger that if the scientific community did go out and investigate paranormal activity as you and other researchers do, that they could come to the conclusion and issue a paper and a statement saying, we went out, we investigated, we used the scientific methodology, and there is no proof whatsoever, based on our expertise, that the paranormal is real. What would that do to the paranormal tourism industry that's out there? Yeah, I guess I could say that that would be like one person's experience or one group of scientists' experiences. Mm -hmm. Now, again, when you go to locations that are allegedly haunted, and when I've been to lo locations that have been allegedly haunted, a lot of times things don't happen at all. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, the, the ghosts are on a timetable where they punch a clock and, okay, we're here now. Okay, now you can investigate. They might go to umpteen different locations and not get a single piece of evidence and that you know i've been doing this for 46 years let them do it for 46 years 
and see what kind of evidence that they come up with instead of doing it for, say, five or ten years. But uh, there's a lot more. Um, I don't like to call myself an expert, but a lot more expertise in what I do uh, than what they might do. They might have you know, much more money to throw at this as far as government grants and mm-hmm. better equipment and, you know, scientists who are PhDs. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a college graduate. Right. But I think, again, by just going on where kind of our, our scientific methodology and how we do that seem to produce evidence for us. Now, not all the time. And again, that's what really kind of, um, um, turns off the, the scientific community because, you know, if they don't get evidence right away, they're going to say, oh, there's nothing to it. I don't think, you, I just don't think you can block the scientific community in that little box. I think that there's a lot of members of the public who feel the same way. And I know there's a number of members of the media that the only time they pay attention to the paranormal is around Halloween. Absolutely. And uh, that's one thing I try to to uh, discuss in mm-hmm. my presentations, my workshops. In fact, I'm producing right now a, a uh, eight-week course on the paranormal that will be available uh, for people to uh, study, uh, kind of leaving kind of my legacy uh, behind of, you know, how to go about investigating. Right. Um, you know, people have probably more experiences, the, the, the general public, than scientific communities, scientists, medical doctors, uh, PhDs, uh, because there's more of them. Uh, there's more just ordinary people out there. And uh, those ordinary people, um, you know, they tell me a story. Who am I to just believe what they say? I was not there when it happened. Yeah. I can't tell you that you're imagining it or something. You know, I try to ask the proper questions to see if there is reasons that you might experience something like this or you want drug medications. Yeah. Hey, Dale, I hate to do this, but we've just run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Dexonation. If you'd like to get more information about Dale Kazmarek, visit his website at www.ghostresearch.org. Are you a believer or are you a skeptic? Send me your email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue Halloween week here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away. 